Christmas is. The season is upon us. And it's an amazing thing. I'm excited about it. I, I, you know, I know we're going to be having Christmas Eve services. And Matt recently posted a blog saying that, that according to some research, that 82% of the people that don't attend church would possibly go, would attend if invited by a trusted friend. But very few people actually ever ask. So I just want to encourage us all to be inviting people, asking people. We, we need to say, come and see. Come and see what I've discovered in Jesus. So Christmas again is upon us. But I also want to bring something up that this upcoming Wednesday is our first Wednesday. And we call this our most important service of the month. Because we come together as a church and we pray together, we seek God together. And God loves it when we come together as a family. We come together relationally in agreement and we pray together and seek after him. And he loves to respond to that. So if you would make this upcoming first Wednesday a priority. And also at this, and we've got a special time at the beginning where we'll have a little bit of a family business. So we'd love to especially invite our members to come. People who have committed in membership through All In and different things like that. Because we're going to be affirming our budget and talking about our elders as well. So just make that night a priority, please. But let's get back to the whole Christmas discussion. Let's talk about that a little more. And you see, my favorite name for Jesus in, in, in the scriptures... It's a favorite passage of mine. I don't know. The name just, it just makes me excited every time. And I want to go to this passage in Matthew chapter 1. It's, this is standard Christmas story. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. And they will name him Emmanuel. Which we hear songs. Emmanuel, God with us and all this. Which is translated, God is with us. Now, I think sometimes we, we need to stop and realize, and I appreciate this about Rockbridge. I remember when I first even came on staff and people were coming, and I remember them saying to me, I'm, I never really understood the difference between religion and a relationship. But Rockbridge, you've helped us understand that difference. You see, religion is these things we do, but relationship, it, that's completely different. A relationship that this God, who is so big, so amazing, he's so huge, he's got... He cares about me, and he wants a personal relationship, a personal individual relationship with each and every one of us. Now, truthfully, that should blow our minds. It really should, but that is what he did for us, God with us. But I want to take this even further, because that simple truth that God never wants you, he, he's with you, he's willing to be with you all the time. He wants to be with you, he wants to be in you, he wants to be in a wonderful relationship of union with you, that truth needs to amplify. We're going to take that even further. All right, so let's keep going. Because I, I want you to understand that mind-bending concept of God wanting us to have a relationship with Him and creating us to a degree, well, creating us for a relationship with Him, it goes even further. Because there's a subject we kind of want to hit on, and it's loneliness. Now, honestly, it's going to get more. We're getting into friendships. We're going to get into relationships. But I want to tackle this theme, the, the idea of loneliness. And I, I want to go after it. Just I'm going for the jugular on it. Because I want you to understand, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 2. The creation story when God creates mankind. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. And then God creates Eve. 
Now, that right there, it is not good for the man to be alone, needs to just kind of, it needs to become a foundation stone in our lives. Because there is, con- we, we battle with loneliness, we battle with all that, and, then, and, and we battle with the fear of, am I going to be alone? We battle with those fears, and we need to understand something right now. Again, it needs to be a foundation stone in our lives as we're going forward. You need to get this and know this. God created us for relationships. God's will for us is that we are not alone. Period. Now, I can tell you, God may call us to a season where he draws us to himself. And we feel like the friendship season or the relationship season is kind of sparse. But I promise you, you're never alone. And that is never, ever his will. I can't find an example. I can find an example of people being called away to a season where God wants to draw them to him. But God does not want us alone. Now, I, I was single till I was 36, so I battled this, and I had a lot of issues, so I sometimes blame my, lone, my, my singleness, God, it's your fault. And, you know, later you learn, no, it's not, it's my fault. But anyway, I had to battle that, and finally one day God just made it clear, Alfred, it is never, ever, ever the will of God for you to be alone. So quit freaking out about it. You know, quit freaking out about the Friday night. I just don't have anybody to do something with on Friday night or Saturday night. That was a common single person fears. What do I do tonight? Well, you know what? Just relax. Enjoy yourself. God's not going to stick you the rest of your life all alone. And we need to deal with We need to deal. Just let that go away. That's not his will. Period. Okay, let's keep going. But I wish this whole subject of relationships and friendships were easy. It, it's not, though, is it? Because sometimes it feels like, well, God, you know, help me out here. Send some people to me. Let's help, help me with this, Lord. And maybe it doesn't feel like it's that way for you right now. Maybe it feels kind of hard. That's what we want to talk about. Because I would tell you, I do actually think right now, we have in our culture, and I think it's only going to get worse, we have a, I believe we have a crisis of friendship. And I just Googled just hit Google, crisis of friendship, and all these articles started popping up. Just how friendships are so much harder since the pandemic, and that had a lot to do with it. But especially with men, there's a crisis of friendship among, among men. But just friendships are harder, everything's harder. Why is there so much more isolation, so much more loneliness, all this stuff? You know what? It's not God's will. So let's, let's dig into it. So we're going to go into a story. We want to tackle the subject of friendship. Well, it just so happens we're in 1 Samuel chapter 20, in the story of David and the story of what's going on in his life. And it just so happens to be about his friendship. It's an interacting, or interaction of his friendship with Saul's son, Jonathan, who's been a major figure, figure in this entire story. Anyway, so let's pick up from last week where we were. You see, David, last week we saw that David was in crisis. Saul, the king, had actually tried to kill him. And then, actually, Jonathan intervened, and Saul swore again, okay, no, I won't do that, that's not a good idea, I recognize that was an error. And then Saul decides again to try to kill him, and then Saul ends up sending commandos to try to kill David, and they end up going to, David flees to the, the city of, um, excuse me, Ramah, where Samuel the prophet is, and he's with Samuel the prophet, Saul sends the commandos, The commandos are overcome by the Spirit of God and completely neutralized. 
Then Saul comes after David. And Saul is overcome by the Spirit of God to the point that it says he laid naked day, for the day and the evening prophesying before the Lord. He was completely spiritually neutralized by a move of God on Saul. Okay? Now I want to point this out because this is just God's incredible love. God in his love for Saul is still trying to reach Saul. He could have killed him. He could have had a heart. I mean, he could have done something. He didn't take Saul out. God is still trying to reach Saul. Saul has rejected God. We've, Matt's been teaching that. We've, we've seen that clearly. Saul has rejected God's leadership. And actually then God has rejected Saul as king. But God has not rejected Saul as a person he loves. And Saul could still repent. And God is continuing to extend grace. Honestly, this encounter was his grace. Again, to try to get Saul to wake up and prevent Saul from doing something that would be absolutely terrible. God's still trying to reach Saul. He's always trying to reach us. All right, so let's go to the story and pick up what's going on with David and Jonathan. So David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What did I do wrong? And just, I, David has fled while Saul is incapacitated. So he's made it to Jonathan without anybody knowing, because that actually is kind of an important detail. How have I sinned against your father so that he wants to take my life? And Jonathan said to him, No, you won't die. Listen, my father doesn't do anything, great or small, without telling me. So why would he hide this matter from me? This can't be true. This, but David said, your father certainly knows that I have found favor with you. He has said, Jonathan must not know of this or else he will be grieved. David also swore, as surely as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, there is but a step between me and death. Now, I don't want to over-dramatize this a little bit, but I want to... Let's think about friendships and let's think about relationships. Because honestly, David's coming to Jonathan saying, Listen, I, you don't know what's going on. You don't understand what's really going on. And Jonathan's going, of course, I'm, his, I'm the trusted son. Of course I know what's going on. We're, we actually have an argument. We have a discussion here. And David's actually calling into question Jonathan's awareness of what's going on. He's calling into question Jonathan's relationship with his father. He's calling into question Saul's character. Now... I want to just point out to a degree that when we've got relationships, and, and this is one of the reasons why relationships are hard for us, and I'm going to say a, how many letters is it? Maybe five-letter word. Drama. We know, relational drama. Now, you, I, I, I think we all know that, you know, we go to the workplace, we don't, I just, there's just drama. You know, we don't like drama. Drama is when things are just flaring up and it's creating emotions and it's creating issues. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I think a lot of us, we're just so drama averse. You know, and that's, that's, and we, anybody that creates drama, that's almost like an accusation of a troublemaker. But here's the problem all relationships get messy and require work. All of them. I mean, I don't mean this, but I mean, there's a joke around church that says church would be great if it weren't for all the people. 
You know, and I mean, I've heard that joke my entire life. And, and, uh, but the problem is, I'm part of the problem. I mean, you put me in there. I create drama. I don't mean to, but I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner. I create messes. I hurt people's feelings. People hurt my feelings. I can sulk. I mean, uh, it happens. I've been here a long time. I create drama too. I promise you, you create drama too. You and I are messy. And if anyone is going to step into our life with us, they have to be prepared to exert a little bit of effort and work. If they're going to care for us, if they're going to be a friend, if they're going to be in a real relationship with someone. We, and if we're going to get into relationships with people, there's going to be messes. There's gonna, it's going to require work. But listen to Jonathan's response. As there's a little bit of drama here, there's a little bit of tension. Actually, it's a lot, but it's... Jonathan knows it's not about him. Listen to what he says, though. Jonathan's response is this. said, whatever you say, I will do for you. She understands something very important. When it comes to relationships, it's not, honestly, it's not about who's right or wrong. I mean, it, it, unless, we're, unless we're not understanding truth, it's how do we fix this? How do we go forward together? How do we resolve it? How do we fix the difference between us? How do we move forward? And, and, and it's bigger than this because Saul's involved, but Jonathan's attitude is like, hey man, listen, I'm not going to argue with you. What can I do to help? And that's the perfect attitude. You see, we have, and, and this is, if there's anything I hope you hear today, it's this simple idea that in front of every one of us, we have a choice. And this is a big choice. It's a huge choice. We have an intentional choice to make to value what God values or not. We must choose to invest in and value friendship. Now, I mean, some of, you are, some of us are married, and maybe we're good at prioritizing our marriage. Some of us have kids, and we're good at prioritizing our kids. But maybe there's a sense of, are we also prioritizing the relationships that God created us to have in other venues, in other places? And are we willing to get messy with people and let people in and to step in to their mess? Will we get in the ditch with people? You see, Jonathan, it, he gets it. This means taking risks. It means taking up our time. It means taking up our emotional energy. It means interruptions to our precious schedules. But will we prioritize these things? Will we prioritize other people in our lives? And I just want you to think about that. Do you prioritize, do I prioritize friendships? I want you to think on that. So let's go to the story. This, so David told him, look, tomorrow's the new moon and I'm supposed to sit down and eat with the king. Instead, let me go and I'll hide in the countryside for the next two nights. If your father misses me at all, say, David urgently requested my permission to go quickly to his hometown, Bethlehem, for an annual sacrifice there involving the whole clan. If he says good, then your servant is safe. But if he becomes angry, you will know he has evil intentions. Deal kindly with your servant. 
For you have brought me into a covenant of friendship with you before the Lord. If I have done anything wrong, then kill me yourself. Why take me to your father? And then Jonathan says, no. If I ever find out my father has evil intentions against you, wouldn't I tell you about it? So, so that David now is actually going to propose a character test for Saul. He's, I mean, he's very scared, but here's, he wants to know what's right or wrong. He's actually open. Have I made a mistake? Have I done something wrong? I would like to be corrected. I want to be fixed. I want to be right with God. I, I don't want to do something wrong. David's got such noble character. So he proposes again a character test for Saul. Either Because here's the thing. Saul, he spent an entire day overcome with the Spirit of God. Maybe it changed him. So David's actually standing there. Maybe he's come back different, but I can't take the risk of going there and risk, you know, maybe he's going to be like, oh, I'm, you know, I repent. I'm sorry for how I've treated you. Or if he's still going to try and, you know, spear me with a spear again. So David doesn't know Saul's condition, and Jonathan doesn't either. So that's the risk. So we've got an important state dinner that they're all supposed to be at, and that's the character test here that we're looking at. So David then asked Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? And he answered David, come on, let's go out to the countryside. Again, there's a whole lot of them trying to shield themselves from being seen by anyone because they recognize there's a lot of risk now. So both of them went out to the countryside. And by the Lord, the God of Israel, I will sound out my father by this time tomorrow or the next day. And if I find out that he is favorable toward you, will I not send for you and tell you? If my father intends to bring evil on you, may the Lord punish Jonathan and do so severely. It's a way of bringing an oath, swearing an oath. If I do not tell you and send you away, so you may leave safely. May the Lord be with you just as he was with my father. That's a powerful phrase there. If I continue to live, show me kindness from the Lord. But if I die, because he's sensing he's now in danger. If I die, don't ever withdraw your kindness from my household. Not even when the Lord cuts off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. Because he knows David is, is the next king. He knows David's supposed to be king. Then Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. Family to family. Saying, may the Lord hold David's enemies accountable. May the Lord come against your enemies. Jonathan once again swore to David in his love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. Now I want you to understand. See, there, there's a transition here that Jonathan now, Jonathan's now scared too. Now recognize he's got a family, he's got kids. I mean, he's, he's got more. I mean, Jonathan's, Jonathan recognizes this is not good. And Jonathan recognizes if all this saying is that, that, that everything David is saying is true... God's favor has left Saul, which I think he recognizes that. God's favor has left Saul and is now on David. Now see, there was a common thing that happened. You see, it's one thing for one family, another, you know, for Jonathan the prince to become the king in place of his father. But usually, like if one, king, if one person comes in and conquers a king and overthrows him and becomes the next king... Like he's saying David might become, that David would come in somehow overthrow Saul. He doesn't know how this is going to happen. But if one king comes over and takes over 
and, and establishes his rule in the place of another king, they often would wipe out the entire family. So there's no risk of any of the ancestors coming up or any of the children coming up and trying to reclaim the throne. And that's the kind of the tradition. But Jonathan's saying, you and I are friends, you and I are brothers. Let's do this differently. Let's love each other. Let's honor each other. Let's protect each other's family. I don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen. But let's have each other's back. Let's stand with each other. Let's do it differently. Let's be with each other. And, and, or let's, let's watch over each other's family. And his, here's the thing. Jonathan realizes he needs David too. He's in need. Now this is what I want you, I, I want to set. Now, now let's talk about friendship and let's talk about relationships. And we've said this. I'm going to say this phrase. We've said this at some of our all-in things. But it's an important biblical truth for us. We are saved into community. We are saved into a family. We are deliberate, needed gifts to one another. Have you ever thought about that? And that's what the, I think sometimes our American culture is like. No, I, I go it alone. I'm doing my own thing. I got this. No, you don't. God didn't make it where you could. He didn't make it where you could go alone. He didn't give you that. And someone else has gifts and strengths that you need. And you know what? In their time of need, you've got gifts and strengths that they need. I know in my own relationship, sometimes I laugh on the day when I'm really struggling my, a, a friend or someone else that I'm in a relationship with, they seem to have the grace and strength to encourage and help me. And then the next day it flips around and they're struggling and not, they're on the struggle bus and I'm sitting here and I've got the grace. And we encourage each other and strengthen each other. That's why the scripture tells us two are better than one. There's more of a return for their work. And it's exponential. We are called into community and we're deliberate gift to one each other or to each other. And we are called into a family. So scriptural that we're called into a family. We need each other. I'm weak. You're strong. You're strong. Or you're weak. I'm strong. That's how God made us. To walk with each other. So let's continue in this story. So what's going to happen now? So then... Jonathan said to him, tomorrow is the noon moon. You'll be missed because your seat will be empty. So they're talking about this ploy at the state dinner. The following day, hurry down. And, did I say, excuse me. You'll be missed because your seat will be empty. The following day, hurry down and go to the place where you hid on this day. The day this incident, this is in 1 Samuel 19. This incident began and stay beside the rock Ezel. I will shoot three arrows Beside it as if I'm aiming at a target. And then I will send a servant and say, go and find the arrows. This is a deliberate plan to try to protect them both. To be able to communicate without being seen. That's what's going on here. To go and find the arrows. Now if I expressly say to the servant, look the arrows are on this side of you. Get them. Then come because as the Lord lives it is safe for you and there is no problem. But if I say this to the youth... Look, the arrows are beyond you. Then go, for the Lord is sending you away. And this is highlighted. I'm going to come back to this. As for the matter you and I have spoken about, the Lord will be a witness between you and me forever. That you and I, we've got each other. We're, we're going to look out for each other no matter what. I'm watching out for your family. You're watching out for my family. So 
Here's this thing. Jonathan recognizes something right here. And this is what is so, so, so crucial. They recognize that they're seeking the Lord. They're seeking the will of the Lord. They're not just trying to figure out, hey, you know, we just need to run. They're going after the heart of God. Now, they recognize God's made promises to David. His favor is on David, but God's also working. I mean, he's still got the kingship there. They are working. They are trying to seek the Lord. And I want you to understand this. This is so important. I think we need to run through, run our friendships and our relationships through this filter to a degree. And it says that the win of our relationships is encouraging one another toward God. Now let me, let me explain why I think this is, again, one of the obstacles to us for having friendships and relationships. I've been, so many times I've been in relationships, luckily now I'm old enough to realize, I can't fix your problem. I mean, people come to me and they tell me things. And I mean, even friends, I have finally learned, you don't need me, you need him. I need to point you back to him. I can't fix you, but you know what? I can encourage you and I can pray for you. And yeah, I may be able to walk with you. I may be able to do something. Maybe I'll do a little something here and there. But listen, so often we get overwhelmed in our relationships because we think we're the one trying to fix things. And you need to take yourself up. You are not someone's savior. That guy's name is Jesus. All right? And we just, we got to get over our savior complex. Women, you, that guy you're thinking about dating, you are not his savior. You cannot fix him. All right? Men sometimes do this too, but I, you know, it seems like more of a thing women want to, and we need lots of fixing. I mean, I do. Men, we need lots of fixing and we know it. But guess who does that? He does, not us. We need a Savior, but His name is Jesus. He died to help us. He's got the power. He's got the Holy Spirit. L- listen, all around, God is, he, he doesn't want us to ha- carrying the burden of that. But He wants us helping each other take our burdens to Him. And see, this should take some of the weight off of our friendships. And the weight off of... It should take some of the fear away of us getting in the mess with people. I can't fix it, but I can bring God into it, and I can point you back to God. And listen to what they're doing. They're seeking God's will. I have also learned, especially when life decisions, I don't, I don't even care what I want, and I don't, I mean, I kind of do. That's an exaggeration, excuse me. But I, I have learned... It doesn't, I just want to know what he wants. I want to know what God wants. Because he knows me better than I do. And half the time the stuff I wanted maybe back then was stupid stuff. And it was a mistake. And now I just like, look, can you just tell me what I want? I mean, can you just help me? And so many times in decisions now with life decisions, I mean, my counsel to people, the first thing I say is, what do you feel like the Lord's telling you? How do you feel like he's leading you? Because when it's all said and done, all we need to know is what he wants and what his will is. If you want relationships that will be a blessing to you and a blessing to others, we got to steer each other to God. Now, I do want us to think, I I think we all need to kind of take a kind of a check. Do I have relationships in my life that are pushing me away from God? 
Now, I'm not saying what you do with that, but I'm saying you have to think about that. Because there's a scripture that says bad company corrupts good character. You know, we do have to think about those influences. And we've got to, we do have to watch to a degree the, the messes we get in with people and who we let into our messes to a degree because they can steer us in the wrong way. And we need friendships that will steer us back to God. And we're called, one of the reasons the church is, again, God's will is because it's supposed to be a group of people seeking God together. And then we walk with each other. We're all pointing each other back to him. But the win of our relationships is encouraging one another toward God. Now let's go back to this story. So David hid in the countryside. And as the new moon, the king sat down to eat the meal. And he sat at his usual place on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat facing him. And Abner, to one of the commanders, took his place beside Saul. But David's place was empty. Saul did not say anything that day because he thought... Something unexpected has happened. He must be ceremonially unclean. Yes, that's it. He is unclean. However, the day after the new, the, the new moon, the second day, David's place was still empty. And Saul asked his son, Jonathan, why didn't Jesse's son come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered, David asked, and this is according to the plan, David asked for my permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, please let me go. Because our family, our clan is holding a sacrifice in the town and my brother has told me to be there. So now if I've found favor with you, let me go so I can see my brothers. And that's why he didn't come to the king's table. Then Saul became angry with Jonathan and said and shouted, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Don't I know that you are siding with Jesse's son to your own shame, to the disgrace of your mother? Every day Jesse's son lives on earth, you and your kingship are not secure. Now send for him and bring him to me. He must die. Jonathan answered his father back, why is he to be killed? He's got David's back right here. Why is he to be killed? What has he done? Then Saul threw his spirit, Jonathan, to kill him. So he knew that his father was determined to kill David. He got up from the table fiercely angry and did not eat any food that second day of the new moon. For he was grieved because of his father's shameful behavior toward David. Obviously Saul was not changed by his encounter with God. And obviously Saul is not really concerned about Jonathan's kingship because if he were concerned about Jonathan's kingship, he wouldn't try to kill Jonathan. I mean, it's kind of obvious. But what is going on here? See, there's something that I believe that actually, it's, it's very common. Saul is operating in this mindset. But it's also, I, I believe that it's also come on us very strongly during the pandemic. See, during the pandemic, we were all told, man, just go isolate, go get in your home, don't let anybody near you, six feet or more, um, stay away, and we got to stay safe. It's self-preservation mode, survival mode. And it's, it's real common, but you know what? We're just not made to live there because it's 100% fear. It's a fear-based thing. And that's what we have to understand in our relationships is that we have to beware of the self-preservation survival mindset. 
It's insecurity. It's fear. And it will always destroy our relationships. The minute you get in there, because the day you're having a bad day, that person won't be willing to pour into you. And the day you're ready, I mean, they'll take, but they sure won't give. I mean, so that's what survival mode does is, oh, yeah, I'll take. I'll grab anything I can. But the minute you need something, I'm sorry. This is mine. I'm sorry. I'm doing the best I can to survive myself. I've got nothing to give to you. And that's what we have to understand, that we've got to stay away from the self-preservation and survival mindset. Now, how did Jonathan not have that? Because Jonathan doesn't, Jonathan's sitting there going, why? I mean, Jonathan's defending David at the sake of his own kingship, at the sake of his own future. Why is he doing that? And that's because Jonathan is, knows he is loved by the king. He is, knows he is loved by the true king. Jonathan knows he is God's. And that God has him and God will never abandon him. That God is good. And he's seen God's favor work on Saul. He's seen God's favor work in his own life. And he trusts God. And see, when we have faith in God, we allow his love into us. And his love can fill us up to overflowing so that we have more to give to others. But if we're stuck in self-preservation and survival, uh uh-uh. No, I'm sorry. I don't, think, I, I don't have anything to help you with. I'm sorry you're having a bad day. Stinks to be you. We've got to watch out for that mindset. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the countryside for the appointed meeting with David. And a young servant was with him, and he said to the servant, Run and find the arrows I'm shooting. And as the servant ran, Jonathan shot an arrow beyond him, And he came to the location of the arrow that Jonathan had shot. But Jonathan called to him and said, The arrow is beyond you, isn't it? And this was according to the plan. Then Jonathan called to him, Hurry and don't stop. Jonathan's servant picked up the arrow and returned to his master. He did not know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew the arrangement. And then Jonathan gave his equipment to the servant who was with him and said, Go take it back. To the city. When the servant had gone, David got, and what's happened here is Jonathan is assessed. No one's seen us. I don't think anybody's near. Jonathan's assessed the situation is safe. So he's willing. Now he's like, okay, so David got up from the south side of the stone, Ezel, fell face down to the ground and paid homage. That's honor three times. And then he and Jonathan kissed each other and wept with each other, though David wept more. Jonathan then said to David, Go in the assurance the two of us pledged in the name of the Lord when we said the Lord will be a witness between me and between my family, excuse me, between my offspring and your offspring forever. Then David left and Jonathan went into the city. He assesses everything's okay. But they come together. And their final parting words is basically this. I don't know what's going to happen. This really is not good. This stinks. But I've got your back. And I'm going to protect your I will do from here on. I will do whatever I can to protect you and your family. I've got your back. I'm with you. 
You know what, I, I, I think that that's hard for us to say to people. But it's where God calls us to go. Because that's his example at Christmas. Jesus, before we even knew him, before we, he knew us before the beginning of the world, but he came to save us. He invaded our mess. He stepped into our world and he saved us. And he said, I've got your back. I will always be watching out for your good. I'm for you and not against you. Trust me. That's the message of Jesus coming. That he loves us. He saved us for relationships. He saved us for himself. And he's calling us to show the same example in our relationships around us and especially in the church, in small groups, in our gatherings. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 15. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. This season going ahead, are we willing to, to begin to prioritize this more than ever before? We be, will, will we get in the mess with people? Will we go there? Will we let ourselves be inconvenienced and will we will we be willing to give the time will we go there because he sure did go there for us will we choose to see friendships as something to sacrifice for trusting god yeah it may be hard but he promises it will be worth it Jesus did it for us. And I want to encourage you right now as we close. If you've never embraced this incredible love, you should do so right now. You should go and speak to one of our campus pastors, one of our elders, someone in the prayer, whatever, whatever your campus, go out into the lobby and talk to someone. But don't leave without taking a step into this amazing love and this amazing relationship and a friendship with God, with a king who loves you, who has your back. Would you pray with me now? Father, we come in awe of your love. We come in awe when we, we realize that you created us not for religion, but for a relationship with you, and that you sent your own son to make that possible. Lord, we just come to you right now and ask that we would take the step toward relationships, that we would move out of survival mode, 
and into giving ourselves to be a blessing to others. Lord, help us see that the greatest gift is love and relationship. First with you and then with others. You've given us a body. You've given us a family. Help us make it a priority. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.